Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. I'm Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist and author. And along with me, I have my co-host, Jay Ciano, a New York-based serial entrepreneur, business scaling expert, and wellness aficionado. We are here to inspire, encourage growth, and most importantly, to live better. Hi, everybody. Today on the Live Better podcast, we have Ben Tuff. He's a record-holding ultramarathon swimmer, and he's going to inspire us and educate us about his personal experience with addiction and how he got sober. He also has a movie coming out called Swim Tough, How I Swam My Way Out of the Bottle. We're so excited to have him with us today. Welcome, everybody. I'm Erica Spiegelman. And I'm Jay Ciano. And we are the Live Better Podcast. And today we have on a very special guest, Ben Tuff. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So among being uh, an ultra marathon swimmer and um, an advocate for sober lifestyle, and you said that yourself, you are sober, um, we have an arrange like we have such a, we have an audience that is in so many different places in their wellness journey and trying to live better. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to live better and how it started and a little bit of background on who you are? Yeah, so it's it's kind of ironic because my, my whole journey started when I was quite young and I had massive, massive anxiety. And that anxiety was often internalized by me in the way of hypochondria. I had every disease, every cancer, everything you you can imagine growing up. And my parents are like, if you have one more of these panic attacks, I'm going to take you to the psychiatrist and you're going to have to get therapy. And I was like, oh no, like that's a really bad thing, I guess. I don't want that to happen. You know, when you say, when you, say when you were really young, like how old are we talking when this started? So probably age seven, age six. Okay. It was, and I remember it, I was in second grade when I really remember it because my best friend was diagnosed with bladder cancer. And they said, we don't know if he's going to make it. And so I was like, well, what were your symptoms? Like, he was like, well, I felt like I had to go to the bathroom all the time, blah, blah, blah. Within a couple of days I had in my head bladder cancer. And and I would take so many of these things and internalize it. And I was so high stressed, high strung, and I didn't have the outlets. I did have sports to a certain extent. And I also grew up with an identical twin brother. And while that was nice to have someone who I was always a roommate with and, and someone to talk to, it also created a little bit more stress with the identity piece because especially as you get into the 13, 14, 15-year-old range, you are struggling with identity already. And you throw into the mix a, a person that looks exactly like you, who you're often mistaken for, and the the competitions that you're that's just created in a natural environment. It was it was a recipe for disaster. So I remember having a panic attack one night at the age of 13, coming downstairs and it's like, mom, we've got to go to the hospital. I'm having a heart attack. And she goes to the other room and she comes back with a shot of vodka. And she said, just take this and go to bed. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I, I 
did what I was told. And I was a good son and it worked. I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. You know? Like, and it's not like it's something that like I, I did all the time, but that's something that will never be erased from my memory as my first experience. Right. It was, it was awful. Um, looking back at it, it was the worst seeds to be sown with within me. Um, and wow. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that is a very interesting story. And it's interesting too, because I have twins in my family and I never thought about the identity, you know, component of being an identical twin. That's fascinating. But needless to say, the vodka was the secret remedy to your, uh, your anxiety. So you obviously went on to start drinking alcohol. Yeah, I did make it, oh, 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 I, I thought was pretty far uh, compared to most of my classmates. And I wasn't until, it wasn't until I was 16 or 17 that I started to drink more heavily on the weekends, only beer. And, but my whole weekend revolved around it. I remember going in to my parents' fridge all week long and taking a, taking a beer each time, each day, and taking maybe two another day just to get ready for that weekend. Just so in the, in my head, I knew I was all set. Like, okay, I don't have to worry about getting that out. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. We all did that. That's that's why we're here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and looking back at it, it was such an alcoholic mindset. And 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 that that continued. And I would say I was a relatively normal drinker. Uh, but the funny thing is, is once I got sober, and I became the kind of designated driver. I looked at, in the beginning, I was, I, I looked at my wife, I said, I think this is the first time that I've driven home from somewhere, you know, <laughs> like it was never me. That experience is a lot more recent for me. So I, I feel you on that one. So how long ago was that for you? That was almost exactly 11 years ago. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I remember too, when I was 13, being given a glass of wine, not for anxiety, but just we were traveling and my stepfather at the time, I mean, I was 14, but I was a mature 14, you know, and, and he was like, sip, you can have a little sip, you know, and he was more of a European style of a person, you know, and so, and, and I remember the, this warmth going down my chest, really, I, I, to this day, I remember, and I was like, wow, this is, and I knew it was like, this I like, this I like, and that connection was formed. And yeah, the addiction and my own addiction with alcohol didn't didn't really rear its ugly head till many years later. But that uh, I think relationship with the alcohol did start in to some degree, you know. And I think that's what's really interesting is is identifying. Oh, this this brings me peace. This brings me tranquility. This brings me relaxation. And it's just a knowing about it. And it's not necessarily like boom, you're going to be an addict the next day. But it's it's making that connection, which is the most detrimental to well, right? And I would say. You know, I was a binge drinker up until 14 years ago and hiding like some beers every now and then, like going out to the garage and drinking like two beers and then coming back in and like little hiding things. But for the most part, hiding from who? From, you know, my family, mostly, even though I came from a family of very heavy drinkers. Yeah, but but mostly my wife and anybody who I thought might judge me as to oh like what are they doing and and that's why I was a I was a teacher for twenty one years, 
And it's so easy to surround yourself with partiers. And there's always something going on. There's always a group of teachers who are off one night who want to just take it all out, take out all the stress, party it out, and then be like, just work through it the next day. And I it, I it out. More people or, you know, well, <laughs> or, you know, that's funny. Yeah, I would I would say it's kind of I, I worked in the restaurant business as well. I would say it's quite similar. And really? you, you have to work hard, work hard, play hard. Wow. I think it's almost, you know, since alcohol is so acceptable and, and you know, the, the gateway for us, you know, we're all sharing a very similar story in your story, Ben, where you're saying you took it from your family's, you know, liquor cabinet or refrigerator. It was only accessible because they drank like everybody else, you know, drinks essentially. And it's only foreign to us now, really, that, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to drink at every single event to ne to have a quote unquote good time. You know, again, I'm just discovering this stuff more recently, which is why I'm so fascinated with the topic. Um, but it's it's a shame that everybody really still to this day associates a good time with alcohol or drugs and that you essentially need those to be part of the good time or you're not having a good time. Right, right. And I would say, I would say for, for me, you know, about 14 years ago, I really started to self-medicate more with, with the alcohol piece and, uh, for my anxieties and, and for, you know, when I was kind of depressed or down in the dumps, I'd be like, okay, this will lift me up. And, and also when I was just through the roof on a really warm 68 degree day, go out there, you, have a couple drinks, be excited about it, you know, maybe do a little fishing and, and hang out. And, and that was, that was what it was all about. And boy, did that go down quickly. And somehow I functioned doing like that behavior for a good three years or so. And, and I was really good at hiding it. I would, I would go get groceries. I'd be always volunteered to get groceries. I would get cash back. So my wife would never see the receipts and, and see that I was buying beer or whatever. I put the money in the back of my wallet. And then the next day I'd sneak out of work or sneak out of te teaching in my off period. I'd go to the liquor store. I'd buy a pint of vodka and the, the, the blue Smirnoff one because it had the most alcohol. I didn't even care. And then I'd buy two vitamin waters. I'd sip them down to the label. I'd fill them both up. I'd, I'd throw away the, the, the Smirnoff thing. I'd put the vitamin waters in my backpack. And then in my mind, it's just, it was just vitamin water. You know, it's, it was my kind of daily medicine. And I'd have one of those each day. And just like when I was a kid, that stress would start to be, would, would come over me as soon as I started to think, oh, wait a minute, I'm out. Like, what do I do? I need to go back and, and figure out a way to, to get out there and do it all over again. Right. And so, That's yeah, I, I mean, it was just, it was awful. And, and, and then it, I just couldn't keep up with it any, anymore. And what was rock bottom for you? Like, what, was there an event that occurred? So I, it was my third trip to the ER in about a four month period for an anxiety attack. And I, my wife took me and 
we were in the triage room with like the curtains where you go before you get admitted to the ER. And we were in there for like an hour and 45 minutes. And I said to the nurse, I said, what's going on? Like, are we going to go, are you going to let us in and, you know, let me see the doctor? And he, he, and she said to me, not until your blood alcohol content becomes below the legal limit. I was like, okay, it's 1130 in the after or not almost afternoon. And I stopped drinking at nine, um, the morning previous and my wife didn't really know I was drinking. Everything came slamming down. Do you know? Wait a minute. So, so this was at 1130 AM that you're at the ER and you stopped drinking the previous day or yeah, the, my, the, the previous, previous day. day and your alcohol limit was still, it was still above the legal limit. And eventually I asked the doctor, I was like, how is this possible? And, and he said, your, your liver function is so bad right now. The amount of alcohol you're putting into your body, you're, you can't process anymore. Wow. So that's, that was like the, the big warning sign right, right there. But, uh, just out of curiosity, were yeah. you like, were you actually in your mind intoxicated at that moment? Oh no, I was so no, you were over. Super. Just hung over, yeah, but not not at all feeling the positive, good vibes, you know, of yeah. being intoxicated. That's that's unbelievable. But that, I actually ended up going home and getting so sick and nauseous because I had been on like a, at least a two week hardcore bender yeah. that I had to go back to the hospital again and get an IV. And so when when you would drink, I have so many questions about this. I'm fascinated. Yeah. So what you're saying, so you would drink from morning till night, typically. You know, you describe two vitamin water bottles, which are not very big, right? And that they would let you drink one a day, which is not that much alcohol. So, so if explain you, if you if you chug eight ounces of 100 proof vodka mm -hmm. in you know five ten minutes, yeah, that's that's a pretty good jolt to the system right? a very good jolt. yeah so that's a good 10 units of alcohol and then to cover it up you drink six to eight high velocity beers on top of that okay it adds up right so it's it's cumulative too you know yep. like drinking every day that like doesn't really leave your system even if you give yourself a couple hours to sleep or detox or whatever you're trying to do and you start again. I mean, it just doesn't matter. It's cumulative. It's right. in your food for a longer than we think. My doctor described it as, as the shampoo effect. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you know how like people say if you wash your hair too much, it, it builds up? Yeah. Well, the same thing with alcohol. If you drink many days in a row, it's a shampoo effect and it builds up and it's going to eventually be very detrimental. So so the I get I get anxiety after drinking you know so yeah. and this this resonates with me tremendously because you know when people talk about like getting rid of anxiety by drinking it's like it's the it's actually the opposite effect like for me yeah the anxiety might be gone while you're in the in the process of drinking but after that when you're coming down and you're hungover you know that's when i would have the worst anxiety and the only way to get out of the anxiety is to drink again right yeah Right. And there's the cycle. Yep. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, did swimming save your life? Tell us how swimming came into play. Let's hear about the, let's hear about like the, the ship towards the light. Like how did you get yeah. 
So, so I ended up going to Silver Hill Hospital for, for rehab, and I ended up spending five weeks there. And, and one of the first people I met was a, a guy named Ken, and he was from Ireland, and he was always talking about doing these triathlons. And I was like, sweet, I want to try that. Like, I'm going to have so much time on my hand. I was like the most enthusiastic, happy, drunk you have ever seen in rehab, and everyone hated me for that. Um, and I also was diagnosed with bipolar. So it was nice to put a, because it was the first time I actually saw a professional and it was relieving to me to actually put a name on those feelings that I had and, and why I was feeling that way. So I, uh, I ended up under, after Ken's advice of learning how to swim, I, I, I taught myself how to swim right after rehab and it took me about three months and I started doing triathlons and I was super into triathlons for about six or seven years until I got too competitive and I just wanted to beat everyone out there. And it was getting away from the reason why I got in it for the first place, which was to kind of give back, to be healthy and, and all those things. Uh, and, and that's when I said, okay, you know what? I, I'm, I'm halfway decent at this swimming thing. I might as well go for it. And I swam around Key West, which was 12 and a half miles and really wow. race. Uh, and then I swam around the Island that I spend my summers on Jamestown, Rhode Island. And that was 20 miles. And then I did a swim from block Island, um, to the mainland, which was about 19 miles and. The, the latest one, which a movie was made off of, was from Providence down to, to Jamestown, which was 23 miles. And it was unbelievable. I found, I found that swimming freed my mind. I could spend time with my higher power. I could process things. I could let it all out there. And, you know, this afternoon when I went to the pool, I came back just feeling so much more relaxed and happy. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I think it's like what, Jay, we talk about a lot, too. I, I feel like when I first got sober, running for me did that kind of like that. I felt like I was connected to, when I say spirit, my own spirit, my own relationship with myself improved. You know, I was able to process emotionally, physically, you know, all of it together. And I think it's it's great for all of us to to share these stories because it not that anybody has to have the exact same, you know, there's no one way in, in which people get healthy or change their lives, but it's good to know that, like, I think all of it has this component of connecting, like, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually in some way to something else, you know, or to have something else that allows you to, like, touch upon those things. Would you say? Yeah. I, one million percent for me, if I'm not physical, you know, first thing in the morning, I'm off. And that's been you know, really a, a, a big driving factor in me being able to, you know, win every day. Um, and a lot of the, you know, our, our mutual friends, Erica, and, and, you know, just people in the wellness space where, you know, I'm very uh, entrenched. It's, it's a very common theme. And, um, but Ben, I mean, swimming is very different than running or weightlifting, like, and then, you know, as you're describing these plus or minus 20 mile swims i'm thinking off rhode island and block island like great whites like i, I don't know how this is peaceful yeah with anxiety around that yeah i haven't so weird. Weird. yeah <laughs> and, and that's what's so funny is because i remember being a kid every from six until 
I don't know, like 15 being petrified of going to the ocean because of, because the sharks were going to get me. Yeah. And then uh, two years ago, I'm swimming from Block Island to the mainland through literally the number one breeding ground of great white sharks, uh, in, in, on the East coast anyway. Yeah. And, and there were sharks under me and they, you know, they pinged two sharks over 15 feet just with the, the finder. And there was no question in my mind. It was their world. And if, if that's how I ended it, that's how it ended. Uh, and, and I was just happy to be out there. And, and, and one of the pieces that I talk about in the movie quite a bit is the, the support group that rallies around you. And, and to me, it's the same people who rallied around me during my most difficult time of my life as I found sobriety. It's just like that support group when I'm out there in the water and I'm relying on them to watch out for sharks. I'm relying on them to keep me fed, to, to keep me going. Following as a team, it's you know, it takes a team around you to really help you achieve those 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 things, which is amazing. But to so tell us more about the movie. I'm very intrigued. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah, what's the name of the movie? What's the name of the movie? Yeah. Yeah. So so the name of the movie is Swim Tough, How I Swam My Way Out of a Bottle. And this came to be about a year and a half ago. I was driving across the Everglades and I got a kind of random call by this guy named Matt Corliss. And he, he was like, hey, you know, Ben, my name's Matt Corliss. I'm a producer and a videographer. I do documentary and I met your twin brother and he was telling me how cool you are. And I wanted to just hear what your story is. And my twin brother had mentioned how to do just these crazy swims and hadn't really mentioned anything about the sobriety piece or anything like that. And Matt was like, after about a 45 minute phone call, he, he asked me, he, he said, how do you feel about this? I was like, well, I feel it's kind of cool, but I don't know why anyone would want to make a movie about me. He was like, well, guess what? We're making a movie, buddy. <laughs> and then he ended up flying up to, to Vermont about two months later. And, and we started just getting rocking and rolling and, and it was sort of a natural process because I had a big swim planned for the for the summer and he would be there for the whole week and following along and while he was doing that he was also capturing my story of how I found sobriety and how these swims kind of mirror my struggles in sobriety because I think that's one of the reasons why I continue to do these crazy swims is because it's pushing me to my absolute limit and it reminds me that nothing can ever be as difficult as what I already accomplished. And in the back of my mind, when it really starts to be really sucky, I tell myself, you can do this. Think about everything that you've overcome in your life already. And so how often do you train currently? Like how, how much are you swimming leading up to a big swim? So, you know, I'm, I'm probably doing 12 to 15 miles a week, but I don't have any like big swims. I have, uh, I think a 10 mile swim in September. I'm kind of taking the summer off because it's going to be kind of 
it's just going to be crazy with the movie and I'm going to be all over the place. So I'm still kind of seeing what that next, that next big swim is going to be. Is it but, similar though to like actual like running marathon training where you're leading up to it, you're, you're swimming longer, uh, you know, periods to lead up to that big swim or ha- yeah. similar? Yeah. So I would, I was swimming about mm, 40 miles uh, a week leading up to the big swim. That's a lot. And how long is the longest swim like leading up to it? Uh, it's usually about 60 to 70%. So it's about very similar to marathon. A marathon. Yeah. Uh, you know, same sort of idea. And I'm kind of lucky in that I've had the same coach and he's, he knows exactly how I peak when I peak and, and knows when to kind of push me and we can actually, I'm actually a little lower on volume before some of my big swims than most of the most swimmers are because I can just step it up on the day of the swim. So I need to know from that moment in the emergency room where your wife learned that you were drinking and like, yes, it all, that's where everything kind of fell apart. Tell us about that process and where you are in your family and your marriage today. Oh yeah. And it was just after that. And that was just like a shock. And I was like, okay, well. I know I have to go and get help and get re- go to rehab because if I don't, I will lose my family. And my wife made that very much known. And it was like three days into my time at Silver Hill. And she called me and she said, I said, oh, I'm doing so great. Like, I'm like kicking butt. I got a new sponsor named Ken. Like, this is so cool. And she was like, well, guess what? Things are really good here too. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Well, your son, Wyatt, he's not as crazy as he used to be. He's calmed down. He's not being as anxious. He's not being as unpredictable. And that's because you're not here. And, you know, that was like a gunk. And I started crying and I didn't know what to say to that. But that that's exactly what I needed to hear at that exact time. Because as as I kind of coach people through these same situations and and they question whether they should kind of come back a little bit and I said you just got you you have to just be honest and and open and and here I am you know we just built a house up in Vermont in the in the basically in the backyard of where my my wife grew up and I have a 16 year old and a almost 14 year old and neither of them can remember when I drank it's just it's not even in their memory anymore I, I think my, my son said, I remember going to that really fancy rehab place. And I said to myself, like, I wish I could go here. <laughs> and, and how do you think, you know, based on all of that, how do you think that affects them? You know, because a big part of me stopping drinking and, you know, looking at my relationship with alcohol is my kids. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're 11 and, and eight now. Um, so they saw me definitely drinking, you know, up until, like I said, recently. And, you know, how do you think that will impact your children? Do you, any indication? Drinking or their own? Yeah, like, you know, is it like, 
you know, do you think that they'll go through the same stuff we did on some level? Or is it like, well, my dad, you know, obviously went through this and, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm scared of that stuff. Like, yeah. how do you think that I mean, I'm so fortunate in that I have 21 years of working with middle and upper schoolers and yeah. have learned how to talk to them about drugs and alcohol and, and vapes and, and all those things. And some things work and some things don't. And any tips for the audience who do not have that uh, background? So, for, for, for my son, for example, who's about to get his license and, and be free a little bit, uh, he is very cautious because he knows that his genetic makeup is going to make him that much more likely to have an issue with drugs and alcohol. That about that, yes. To have a genetic disposition, yeah. daddy did. Daddy did too. About that, right? Yes, I was like, this isn't. This doesn't come from me. Yeah, have a talk. Yeah, yeah, and and an open, honest talk. I think that the biggest mistakes that that parents make is they get very preachy, and especially for those of us who just want to do everything possible to dissuade our children from from trying any of this stuff. We're going to kind of demonize them and make them these horrible things. And instead of doing that, I find that just laying out the boundaries and the consequences of what happens if you do in the same, in the same way that I knew that if in early sobriety, if I screwed up, if I slipped, I would no longer be living in my house with my family anymore. That was a very strict line. And, you know, in Vermont, for example, parents have complete control over their children's license until the age of 18. So I can send an email and have any of, have my son's license revoked until he's 18 in, in, in seconds. That's unbelievable. Right. And another rule that law that they have is that anybody who gets a minor in possession loses their automatically loses their license until 18. So you know, that in itself is, is it worth, is it worth it? Uh, and, and in the end, I think now that, especially my son has seen me go and rescue so many of my former students and have helped. Uh, I just took one out to Phoenix, Arizona last week because he was in rehab and uh, he was, he was a, needs a little bit more time finding his way. Uh, and he hears my phone calls with him and, and he's like, wow, like that's nuts. Like that. Yeah. I don't want that. And I, it, the, the one, the one complaint he had about his high school, he's, he's like, dad, like, I think everybody drinks vapes or smokes pot. And I was like, well, that's just high school in general. You just got to surround yourself with the positive, powerful people that don't do those things. And then you're going to be okay. That's and that's that's a good sign that he tells you that too. You right. know, I never mentioned that anyone did anything because I didn't want them to think anyone did anything. Right. <laughs> but those are all good signs. And I think with Jay, Jay too. I think I always say this to Jay. It's like such a great, it's so it's role modeling for children to see that their parents are human. They're fallible. They made mistakes. They make mistakes. We own up to them. We take responsibility. We share how this has impacted them. You know, it's it's such a beautiful thing, and it's. I think I definitely think if your children are going to go on the right path, that's going to be part of it is just 
having a parent that, you know, mirrors what it is to be a healthy human being. And and there will be mistakes. Yeah, right. We're all human, for sure. So what do you do now, Ben, day to day? You, you keep mentioning that you're helping people. So you're not working as a teacher. What is your... So I've been working, right, I've been working on my movie and uh, I will, I'm going down to University of Georgia uh, this week and I'll be talking to some fraternities down there uh, about my experience. And then I'll be going down to Atlanta and then South Georgia to St. Simons to speak at some high schools uh, about my experience and uh, about how I found swimming and, and, and sobriety because my, my goal is I'm focusing on, on the schools because I want to destigmatize this idea that addiction is such a horrible thing because if there's one thing that's holding our kids back from getting help from themselves or for getting help for another one of their friends, it's because they're worried about this kind of marginalization and being kind of pigeonholed into this area. And if with just a few of them, if I can inspire a few of them to be like, wow, that guy's kind of cool. Like, and he's sober and he's proud of it. Like, what the heck? Uh, then, then I've done the right thing. And, and in my mind, this has worked because I've now taken four of my previous students to get uh, treatment because, you know, the parents either can't do it or just don't know how to deal with it. So they call me and they're like, Penn, like, we know you've done this before. We hear you talking about it all the time. Can you help us out? And of course, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever. When, when does the movie come out? So we're set for about three weeks from now. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's been like film festivals, or is it going to be out at a certain network, or are you like shopping around? What is it? Yeah, so the way we will, I'm kind of this is all new to me, this movie thing, and I'm kind of figuring it out. But I will be going to film festivals this summer, well, this late spring, summer, and it's at that point that it will be picked up by a distributor, a Netflix, or Amazon, something like that. Wow, this is exciting. So it's fun. Yeah. Well, if you come to LA, let me know. And did you go to New York? Jay's there. And... Please. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We got we to come out and support, do whatever we can. No, for sure. Any excuse. Well, I, I go down to New York quite often, or I used to. Uh, and then uh, LA is, is one of my favorites. So, God. likewise. Yeah, likewise. yeah that's awesome. Ben, can you, you know, thank you so much for being with us, number one. And you're, you are an incredible inspiration. And, you know, I know so many people in our audience are going to be able to connect with your story. Can you just tell everybody, like, if you have one little parcel of, like, your favorite self-care tool that you kind of live by or a tip or anything, like, parcel for our audience to leave us with today? So one of the great, yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the greatest opportunities I've had is I've been a speaker to, a lot of sober executives or sober groups of people who have many years in sobriety but are kind of stuck in a rut. And uh, I guess this is a common thing. I'm only 11 years in and I'm so excited to be sober that it hasn't affected me yet. But I guess there's this like kind of lull that a lot of people hit. And one of the pieces that 
I love to inspire people to do is to try something new in their life and and to take on something. It, it doesn't matter if it's knitting. It doesn't matter if it's drawing cartoons, if it's swimming, if it's doing a triathlon. You know, do something for yourself and do something for others because that's the piece that keeps us going. And, and eventually you'll find whether you start out as halfway decent or not, you'll find that with time and with dedication, you will find success. Great advice. Great advice. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for being on with us today. And can tell everybody where they could find you if anyone has questions or they want to start following you in the movie or they want to, you know, get in touch. Yeah. So my Instagram is at ben.tuff, T-U-F-F. And feel free to to reach out with any questions at bentuff at gmail.com. And my website will be up in the next week or so. And that's swimtuff.com. Amazing. Going to give you a follow right now so I could follow along. All right. <laughs> That's great. Well, we appreciate you so much and we're honored you came on. We really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much, Ben. Congrats on, on, on your journey. And, and uh, it's exciting to meet you three weeks before the big movie premiere. So, yeah. And I will be down in New York for one of those festivals down there. So I will let you know. Yeah. Hopefully out of LA. Yeah, exactly. Let me know both because I need okay. to get back to LA. Sounds good. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thank you.